All right, as you stand, would you turn with me to the book of Matthew in chapter 19. We're going to read verses 16 through 26 this morning as Pastor Bruce brings a message on the fruit of goodness. Again, we are in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 26. You can find this passage on the Bible in your pew on page 564. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but the one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Let's pray. Father, we just ask this morning that... As you teach us through your word, God, our hearts will be opened and our hearts will be changed and molded, become more like your son. Lord, that we will know that uh, through our own efforts and our own endeavors, Lord, uh, things like goodness, love and joy and peace, these fruit are impossible. But through you and your spirit, they are possible in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Great to see each and every one of you here. I'm excited that you're here. I hope you're excited that you're here as we continue in our summer series on the fruit of the Spirit. And this morning we're going to be focusing on the Spirit fruit of goodness. In fact, speaking of summer, kind of hard to believe it's almost over. Hard to believe the kids all start back to school this Wednesday, believe it or not. In fact, uh, all three school districts here north of the river, the Park Hill District, North Kansas City, Liberty, they all start on the same day for the first time probably in the history. They start Wednesday. Are you excited? Kind of. Yeah, not so kind of. Some. How many parents are excited? Yes. yes. Woo, yes. Kid, parents are really excited. We all start back to school. Well, I hope many of you have had a good summer. Perhaps some of you enjoyed even a good vacation, or perhaps you, you had a good staycation here in Kansas City. My family and I, we had a good vacation down in, on Table Rock Lake, which is a really good lake to go boating on. We had good weather. We spent time hanging out with some good friends, swimming in a good swimming pool, eating some good food, watching a good movie. My wife and I even enjoyed some time with a good cup of coffee, hanging out on a good deck on a good morning. We even took some good long walks in the evening as well. We enjoyed ourselves. We had a good vacation. 
And to top it all off, the boys were really good too. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Tyler, for enhancing our vacation in that. I guess Tyler's back there enhancing that. In fact, everything was just really, really good about our vacation. Well, as you can tell, we tend to overuse the word good. We say that we had a good vacation, a good cry, or even a good meal. We throw the word good around a lot. Here are just a few ways we use the word good in our culture. We greet one another with, good morning. We tell people to have a good day. And at the end of the day, we say good night. You got it. We tell our kids, good job, good game, good luck. We say she's good looking, or he's looking good, or I'm feeling good. We might say to a friend, hey, good to see you, or good move. Or good to know, or good to go. Other common phrases include, so far, so good. It's too good to be true. You got it. It does my heart good. If it's it's for your own good, we might tell our kids that. Your guess is as good as mine. Looks good to me. I'm good with that. And if you got all that, then good for you. It's an overused word. We use it all the time for everything. Well, another problem, though, when it comes to this idea of goodness is that everyone has their own idea of goodness. Everyone has their own standard of goodness, of what is good to them. What's good to me is not necessarily good to you. You know, I, after all, I think Arthur Bryant's is good barbecue. Some of you may say, no, Smokehouse is good barbecue. Others may say, no, Oklahoma Joe's is good barbecue. doesn't matter, they're all good. You know, I say the new Wolverine movie is good. But you say, no, the Superman movie is good. You know, it doesn't matter. I may say, hey, I, I, I like the Luminaries music group. They're good. And you say, no, I think the Black Eyed Peas are good. Or you may say, no, Taylor Swift is good. And somebody else says, no, 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 Adele is good. It doesn't matter. We all have our own standard, don't we? You get the idea. Everyone can basically say, this is good, that's good, or this is whatever is good. But this morning, what I want us to look at is God's standard of what is good and how the word good is used in the Bible. So far in our series, we've looked at five of the nine fruits of the Spirit, as Paul identifies them in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Look at that with me one more time. Look what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We've looked at those first five, and now we're going to look at goodness. Next Sunday, we'll look at faithfulness, and then we will finish off with gentleness and self-control. The spirit fruit of goodness is closely linked to the spirit fruit of kindness in that it is more easily observed in someone than it is to define. Uh, So we may be asking, well, what is the spirit fruit of goodness anyways? Well, notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. Here's a simple definition to get us going. Goodness is uprightness of heart and life. It's uprightness of heart and life. The Greek word here for goodness is a very rare word. In fact, the word here is found only three other times in the New Testament. And this word combines the idea, get this, of not only 
being good, but also doing good. So when we think of goodness here as a fruit of the Spirit, think of two things. It's being good and doing good. And we'll look at these in just a moment. One author writes this, goodness deals primarily with the motives of our speech and conduct. It lies at the heart of our character behind all that we say and we do. Billy Graham, most of you are familiar with him, he gives this thorough description of goodness when he writes, the word good in the language of Scripture literally means to be like God because He alone is the one who is perfectly good. It is one thing, however, to have a high ethical standards, but quite another for the Holy Spirit to produce the goodness that has its depth in the Godhead. The meaning here is more than just doing good. Goodness goes far deeper. Goodness, he says, is love in action. Just like we learned last Sunday, kindness is love in action. It carries with it not only the idea of righteousness imputed, but righteousness now demonstrated in everyday living by the Holy Spirit. It is doing good out of a good heart. So there you even see in what Billy Graham writes, the idea of being good and doing good. He says, it's doing good out of a good heart to please God without expecting medals and rewards. Christ wants this kind of goodness to be the way of life for every Christian. So let's look this morning at what it means to, first of all, be good, and then we'll spend a few minutes looking at what it means to do good with this idea of the fruit of the Spirit of goodness. So number one, step one, being good. How to be full of goodness. Going back to our text that um, Kirk read for us, Matthew chapter 19, has a lot to say about what it means to be good. In fact, you may have picked up that word good in our text. It's used several times. After watching Jesus pick up some little children and bless them, this man, this young man, in fact, he's identified as a wealthy, rich man, runs up to Jesus, he falls on his knees, and he asks a significant question in verse 16 of Matthew 19. He says, good teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? Jesus turns to the inquisitive man and asks him a question in response in verse 17. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And the man confidently replies to Jesus in verse 18, Oh, which ones then? And Jesus says to him, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this young man, he does a quick inventory in his mind, and he tells Jesus in verse 20, Hey, all of these I have done from my youth. All of these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Now, surprisingly, Jesus did not argue with this young man. He did not point out that he couldn't possibly have kept all these commandments. Instead, Jesus looks at him with eyes of love and then simply tells him in verse 21, if you want to be perfect... In other words, if you want to be good, not human good, God's good, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Well, when this young man heard that response from the Lord, 
Let me tell you, his countenance fell, and he walked away sorrowful because he had a lot of money and a lot of possessions. Now, from this very encounter between Jesus Christ and this rich young man, we can begin to answer a very relevant question that still plagues us or ponders many of us even today in the 21st century. And that question is this, who in the world is good? Who out here is good? Who is good? Well, Jesus begins to reveal to this man and to us even today through this encounter that only God is good. This young man had everything he needed in life, or so it seemed. Think about it. He was young, he was well-respected, and he had a lot of money. But there was just one problem in his life. He was not happy. He's not happy with his performance-oriented, graceless religion that he's grown up with. He could sense that there was something missing deep inside of him, and he wanted to make sure that he was on the right path to heaven, to eternal life. And the fact that he ran up to Jesus and kneels before Jesus shows us that he's very sincere about this. There wasn't just something that he casually thought about. No, he thought about this and has been pondering about this for quite some time. All his life he had been taught that he had to, quote, do good things in order to be saved. But something wasn't right. Something's bothering him deep inside of his heart still about that. He starts out by calling Jesus what? Did you catch it? Tells him good, good teacher. And Jesus stops him right in his tracks and says, hey, why do you call me good when only God is good? Now, I'm sure Jesus' answer must have come as a surprise because at first glance, it has no connection with the man's question, does it? Instead of answering his question, Jesus reveals to him that God is the very definition of goodness here. In fact, all through God's word, all through the scriptures, numerous times it affirms that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. I like that saying. We used to say it somewhat here in our church. God is good. All the time, and all the time, God is good. Listen to some of these verses here. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 86, 5 says, You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Psalm 106, 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Naaman one seven says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. We see also in God's Word that God's goodness is in His Word. That is in what He says, what He speaks. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of our God stands forever. So God's Word, The book you hold in your laps is good. 
What God says is good. What He teaches is good. What He commands is good. And what He promised us is good. We see God's goodness in His very purposes for our lives. Because God is good, what He does is good. When you read about the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, all along the way we are told that God saw what He created and it was Good. And then at the end of it all, after he had finished his creation, God calls it all very good. Romans 8.28 reminds us that God is working all things for our good. This doesn't mean all things in and of themselves are good. Rather, it means that God has a purpose for everything he allows to come our way. Whether, whatever the personal circumstances or situations may be, God promises they will ultimately be for our good. It's interesting on this very point here. The goodness of God. I had a conversation with a young man. I say young because he was just a year younger than me. 45 years old this last Wednesday at the KU Cancer Center. I was there to have uh, my first checkup, uh, blood work done, a CAT scan. And we were sitting in the waiting room to have our CAT scans done. And I was sitting there first, and he comes and sits down. And, uh, and of course, we're the only ones there at that moment. So we began to strike up a conversation, and we kind of just share our stories. And so I'm sharing kind of my cancer story with him. He's sharing his cancer story with me. And, uh, and he made the statement a couple of times. I know, and believe me, he was way worse off than me. I mean, way, he has renal cancer for about the last two years. He's gone through several bouts of chemotherapy and radiation. He had lost all his hair. It's now grown back. And now it has come back again. So now he's going back through um, chemo and radiation. Uh, more of it this you know, in the months ahead. He's got five kids, and he's 45 years old. And um, so anyways, but he made the statement about, I know, I know it all has, you know, there's a purpose to it all. I just don't know what. Well, that opened the door to just begin to gently um, and real briefly share a conversation that I believe the same thing, that God does have a purpose in all of this. We don't understand it. We may not uh, figure out exactly what that looks like immediately, but God is good even in this. And we talked about that. Some of the goodness in his life is his job's been very good to him through it all. He still has it. They haven't let him go in the process. They're holding his job for him. And he had a really positive attitude. And anyways, I guess gave opportunity to share. And we've goodness, God's goodness into that situation in his life and my life. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. We see God's goodness even in his gifts that he gives to us. James 1.17 reminds us every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly light. Psalm 85.12 tells us the Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. In other words, what I'm trying to emphasize with us this morning, going back to our text with this rich young man, Jesus was making a point to this young man that only God is good. This young man addressed Jesus as good teacher, but Jesus wants him to search deeper beyond that. He wants him to search his soul. And so in saying this, in his response, Jesus is actually equating himself to God or with God. Jesus was saying to him, there are only two possibilities here. If you want to call me good, you must also call me God. 
But if you won't call me God, then you cannot call me good. And that was the point Jesus is making to him. Only God is good. And if you call me good, then you're also acknowledging me as God's son as well. So who is good? Who is good in this world? Jesus reveals that only God is good. If only God is good, well, what does that mean for us? Well, that brings us to our second point here. Notice it. Jesus also reveals in this story, this encounter with this rich young man, that we are not good. Jesus was also making the point that this young man was not as good as he thought he was. You see, get this, get this, because we can relate to this guy. We think the same way oftentimes like this guy. His concept of, quote, good was mistaken. His concept of good was skewed. And so what it did, it clouded his perception of Jesus, but it also clouded his understanding of himself. And until he could see that Jesus was God in the flesh, who demanded complete allegiance, and until he recognized his own sinfulness, he could not find eternal life that he was searching for. In essence, this young man, he thought way too little of Jesus here and way too much of himself. He overestimated his own goodness while at the same time he grossly underestimated who Jesus was. You know, it was common belief in that day and age, in that culture of this rich young man, that you had to do something good to earn eternal life. That's still a pretty popular concept in our culture today, isn't it? Many people believe God will simply add up their good works with their bad works, and if the good outweighs the bad, then, hey, I'll get into heaven, I'll make it. I may barely make it, but I'll get in. But that's simply not true. The Bible tells us that we can't find eternal life until we see that we fall short of God's standard of goodness. And until we recognize that Jesus is God Himself, sent to redeem us from our sins by dying as our substitute on the cross. You see, we often think we're good because we compare ourselves with a Joe Schmo down the road. We compare ourselves to others. And believe me, you can always find somebody that's not as good as you are. And so we think we're good. We look at our coworkers, we look at our friends, we look at our neighbors, and if we're just a little better than them, hey, we feel pretty good about ourselves. The problem is we're using the wrong standard. God's standard, get this, is perfect goodness. It is complete holiness. This young man in our story, he thought he had kept all of God's standards for godliness as outlined by the Ten Commandments. In fact, he was able to say that he had not committed adultery or murder, that he had never stolen or lied, and that he had honored his father and mother. That's pretty good, right? Who of us could say that? Right? And while he may have kept these commandments, 
Let me tell you, Jesus is about to rock his world. Jesus is about to show him the true state of his heart. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.12, there is no one who does good. Not even one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even the Apostle Paul himself writes in 7.18, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. And so although this young man may have kept some of the commandments, listen, it was impossible for him to keep all of them all the time. Like the saying goes, some people can be good most of the time, and most people can be good some of the time, but no person can be good all of the time. And so Jesus is basically telling this young man, hey, That's really good that you've kept these commandments, but you're still missing out on how to have eternal life. There's no way you can be good enough to get to heaven. So let me show you what I mean. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now that statement just blows us away, doesn't it? We're like, what? What? You've got to be kidding me. What Jesus is doing with that statement, with that man... In his life at that time is he is exposing his heart. He's showing him that he had broken the first and the second commandments by making money his master. In other words, shekels were his savior and gold was his God. Is Jesus in the process of this story is now showing us today that human goodness is the worst form of badness. You say, why is that? Because human goodness, your goodness, my goodness, is deceptive. It's a... He says, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, those are not two separate descriptions of Barnabas. They are connected. Barnabas was a good man because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Barnabas wasn't good because he was born that way or because he kept some of the commandments. In fact, you can go to Acts chapter 4 and it tells us that Barnabas was a Levite, which meant that he was a pretty good person. He was religious in nature, and yet none of that mattered before he knew Christ. Barnabas was full of goodness because he was full of the Holy Spirit, and therefore he did good works. And the good works he is most known for is encouraging people. In fact, the name Barnabas, his name literally means the son of encouragement. Barnabas was a good man who went around doing the good work of simply encouraging people, exhorting people. And according to Acts 11.24, the result of his good works is that a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So, which tells us now one of the best ways to let the spirit fruit of goodness out to show this fruit... To demonstrate it is to share the good news of the gospel with those you come in contact with. Let me encourage you, even right now, think of one person, just one, one person who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't know the goodness of God that was shown through his son, Jesus Christ. 
And they need you to share the good news of Christ with them. That may begin by showing them a good deed so that you earn the right to share the good news. You know, it can be as simple. It's just, a, I mean, a brief, simple conversation. You don't got to think of this complicated thing. Most of you know I love Starbucks, big Starbucks fan. So every, quite often during the week and on every Sunday morning, I stop at Starbucks at Hy-Vee there on Inglewood Road, North Oak. And, of course, you see the same workers over and over again. You get to know them. They know you. And, uh, and so over time, uh, you know, they know what I do for a living. They know I'm a pastor. And there's one particular lady there. Uh, she's about my age. She's divorced. Her kids are grown out of the house. Really nice lady. So we, we, we kind of hit it off and had conversations. And she, she knows I'm a pastor. She's got a previous church background a little bit. And uh, so every Sunday morning, she's working. She, here's what she does. She always asks me, you know, what's the sermon today? What are you preaching on today? And so I, I give a little three-minute synopsis almost every Sunday morning of what I'm preaching. And I've invited her to church several times, and she has promised to come if she ever gets a Sunday day off. In fact, she's supposed to have one coming up. And she, she told me this. I'm going to come and hear you. And I would say, you've got to come hear me preach. And, and it can be just, you know, and even in a little sermon, I will share with her the gospel, the good news. It's brief, it's simple, and that's just one little way. Who do you know in which you can share God's goodness through sharing the hope of the good news? Now, as we think about the spirit fruit of goodness, there's a warning we need to heed, though, here. And that warning is this. When doing good, beware of the artificial fruit of hypocrisy. Have you noticed that evil doesn't like to appear evil, so it's developed a goodly face? It's called hypocrisy. You know, most of us are familiar with hypocrisy. It gives the appearance of goodness, but with a motive of evil. And here's the ironic part about hypocrisy. Get this. We can't stand the smell of hypocrisy in others, can we? We will point it out. We have an aversion to it. We will run from it. We can't stand the smell of hypocrisy in somebody else. And yet, we will tolerate the smell of hypocrisy in our own lives. The artificial fruit of hypocrisy has a certain temporary beauty to it. And that's why it fools some people some of the time. But God is never fooled by it. In the present context of goodness... Hypocrisy is a certain kind of benevolence which is done for selfish reasons and not out of compassion for people in their need. And one of the clearest examples of this kind of hypocrisy is a couple named, perhaps you're familiar with them, Ananias and Sapphira. How many have heard of the names? All right, some of you. Ananias and Sapphira. You can read all about them in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'll give you the cliff note version here. Their hypocritical goodness extended no further than the impression that they wanted to make on other Christ followers in their church. And so what they do? They sold some of their possessions, and they kept back some of the proceeds, but pretended to give all of the proceeds to help people in the church. Now, I don't misunderstand here. What they had... Listen, they were free to dispose of as they wished. What they sold, they were also free to keep as they wished. 
The problem came when they tried to make a show of their goodness. And God wouldn't stand for it. And eventually their hypocrisy, their deceit was exposed and they suffered the extreme consequences of their hypocrisy. God struck them down in death. In Acts chapter 5. So I caution all of us here this morning, including myself, beware of the artificial fruit of hypocrisy. And instead, let the Holy Spirit cultivate and grow His fruit of goodness, genuine goodness in your life. Now, as we end here this morning, it would be a tragedy if you left here, if you walked out of this auditorium trying to be good and do good on your own for eternal life. Perhaps you can relate to the rich young man in our story who sensed something was not quite right in his heart. And so he came running up to Jesus to ask about how to have eternal life. You know what? You've got to give the guy credit. At least he came running to the right person. Amen? But he was still depending on his own goodness instead of God's goodness. But then this young man asked Jesus the most important, critical question he could ever ask our Lord. That question is found in verse 20 when he asked him, What do I still lack? What do I still lack? And maybe you're asking that same question right now. What do I still lack? I'm looking at my life and I'm thinking I'm all right. What do I still lack? And here's the answer. Look at it in your notes here. Your goodness isn't good enough to get you into heaven or to use the words of Christ to get you into the kingdom of God. But Jesus' goodness is... woo. Hallelujah for that. So trust Him as your Savior and Lord. Listen, if you've never been born again this morning by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then this is the one thing you still lack to have eternal life. You may be a pretty good person. But as you can see, none of us have the capacity for perfect goodness. We must depend on the goodness and grace of someone better than us. And that someone is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Just listen to what Jesus told another pretty good person. But whose goodness wasn't good enough. When he spoke to a Pharisee named Nicodemus in John chapter 3 verse 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus... Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Jesus tells him in that most familiar verse, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, what? Believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Listen, the only good thing you need to do to have eternal life is to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray.
Lord, we come to you this morning. And we praise you for your goodness to us. We praise you that that goodness was shown and demonstrated through your son, Jesus Christ, when you sent him to redeem us by dying on the cross as our substitute for the payment of our sins. Lord, it's through that gift of your goodness that we can now be made good. And therefore, we can demonstrate goodness to others. Lord, I pray that if there are some here this morning that have never been born again by you, that they would see their need. They would see that they're not quite good enough. And they would put their faith in your son, Jesus Christ, here this morning. They would run to Jesus and beg him for eternal life. Lord, for others that are already believers, Lord, perhaps we have been hypocritical in our works. We've kind of just been going through the motions. And so, Lord, convict us where we need convicting. And let us confess our sins to you and receive your forgiveness fresh and anew. And may the Spirit cultivate the genuine goodness that only he can. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. As the praise team sings, just a chorus here, I invite you to, to do business with God, to pray, to confess, to receive him if need be, right where you're seated as the praise team sings.